so. Ooh. Yeah, that's right, I'm mooing at you. Um, we were over at our, uh, my cousin's house with several of our Christian friends last night, and we were playing this funny party game called Herd Mentality. And the whole point of the game was to go along with the herd, and you had to pick answers that you thought everyone else would pick. You weren't supposed to be individual, you weren't supposed to come up with your own thing. Whenever there was a clue, you'd write down what you thought everybody else would go with, and you got more points by going along with the herd. That's exactly the way the, the world wants us to go. The flesh wants you to be part of the herd, wants you to go along with the flow, and whatever they come up with, regardless of how crazy the ideas are, no matter how sinful it is, the herd wants you to come along with them, even though that's leading their way to destruction and slaughter. If you think about what is the purpose of most cows, they're to be led off to the slaughter and used for food. That's exactly how the devil sees us as this herd. And part of the fun part of the game was whenever somebody was taking a little bit too long to answer, you could moo at them. So that's where it was the, the moo. It just really reminded me as I was praying this morning about what to preach about. That's what the devil's doing. He's sitting there mooing at us and just wants us to go along, be a part of the herd. He'd hate for you to wander off and actually run off and, and find Jesus. He'd rather have you run towards all that sin and just desire to be a part of that herd. We have a couple cows on a hobby farm right down the road from us, and even though there's only two or three of them, you can see them wandering around the field together. They never go stand off on their own. It's pretty rare that you see them on their own, but it's that, that herd mentality where they always clump together and go wherever they go um, together. And then I was reading in Exodus chapter 32. Um, I'm going to pick a couple different verses out of here, but starting at verse 1 uh, through 6, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel! These are our gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting, drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Moo. They all lined up to get in front of that calf. They all lined up. They're standing at the base of a mountain that they were too scared to even approach. Moses had gone up to be meet face-to-face with God, and be given the Ten Commandments to receive the instructions, the covenant that they were being expected to follow. He wasn't even gone that long. It was only a matter of a couple of weeks. And they're still down at the base of this mountain. They can see the presence of God. And yet, they immediately turn back to what they're comfortable with, what they know. They wanted to go back to the herd. They'd been slaves and crying out for freedom in Egypt. They were subjected. They had been set apart by God as a chosen people to follow after Jehovah, the true God. And yet, all that time they had spent in Egypt, all that time they had spent in that pagan country, had imprinted that upon their heart. They had that slave mentality where they wanted to return back to sin. They had this opportunity to walk in righteousness, to walk with God. And they were there at that base of that mountain, faced with all of that. And who did they run to? They ran to their high priest, the man that had been appointed to be leader over them, Aaron. And what did he do when the cows started mooing, when the herd showed up at his doorstep, rather than saying, hold up here, 
We need to be waiting on Moses. We know that God is talking with him right now. No, what did he do? He went right along with the herd. He wanted to be popular. In fact, he was pretty pleased with himself here when he saw how happy the people were. He's like, wow, they really like this golden calf. You know what? We're going to take it a step further. We're going to have a big festival tomorrow. They're getting drunk. They're having sex with each other. They're doing all these things that the flesh wanted to do. All these things that Aaron knew was opposed to what God's will was. We ourselves are those Christians. We are followers of God. We have been set apart by God and delivered out of that slavery to sin. And yet, the world surrounds us with the media, with the entertainment, with our friends, our family. All these people are putting this stuff in our face and saying, why are you trying to follow that God? Why don't you come worship the golden calf with us? Look at all the fun that we're having. Why don't you come join in this revelry with us? Moo. Why don't you come join the herd? And that's what we have to run away from. Aaron should have stood up because he knew what was better. He knew what God had commanded. He was supposed to be guarding their spiritual lives. We can't go along with the herd. We can't chase after these idols. The temptation is always to explain away the supernatural, to explain away God. What do these people do? They have been confronted with the supernatural so much so that they thought they were just die. They were just so scared of him, of God. They wanted something they could control, something that would let them give over to their sinful desires. And that's why you see so many people create these idols in their life, their own form of God. Well, I know my God wouldn't prohibit me from doing this. My God would want me to have this fun. My God would want me to do that. And they create these idols, these different forms of God. Aaron knew what was better, and yet here he was shaping this golden calf, picking out a pagan God from their old country and bringing it forward and saying, yeah, this is what delivered us. They watched the parting of the Red Sea. They'd watched the wiping out of the thousands of soldiers chasing them. They'd watched those plagues come across, even culminating in the Passover, to where the firstborn of every creature in Egypt was slaughtered and killed. They'd seen the power of God at work, and how quickly they turned away from that, because, moo, they wanted to go with the herd. They wanted to run after their sins. They wanted to run after the things that their flesh wanted to do. Because it's easier to worship yourself And it's easier to worship things that you've created with your hand. Oftentimes, I've stopped and asked myself, how could somebody possibly worship a small little statue? How could they worship an inanimate object? And God finally revealed that to me this morning. It's because they want control. You know, I mean, Aaron formed it with his own hands, stood it up on that pedestal. He knew it had no power, but he knew that it gave him freedom to run after this. It sounds like he was going to be having some fun with that drunken revelry because it was now a festival to their God. They wanted to create their own rules and be controlling of their own flesh and their own desires. And that's why they stood up that idol. They didn't want to have to listen to any rules from God. They didn't want to have to walk in righteousness. They didn't want somebody else to control them or to tell them what what they should do. And that is what the devil tries to do. That is the reason the devil tried to ascend the throne. He didn't want God to tell him what to do. He had it pretty good. He was sitting at the right hand of God the Father in charge of all of worship and praise in heaven. And yet, it still wasn't good enough for him. The devil in his heart said, I'm going to send the throne. I'm going to be the one in charge. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing here. They got together as that herd and they said, we're going to worship the golden calf because the golden calf is going to let us do what it wants to do. They could put the words in the mouth of that golden calf. That calf wasn't going to talk to him. That calf wasn't going to give him a covenant to follow. They could make it up as they went. They'd just be like, you know what? Hey, look, our calf wants us to get drunk. It wants us to go have sex with everybody and have a big orgy right here in this valley. And that's what Moses came down the mountain to find them doing. Because they had decided that they were going to be their own gods. That they were going to be 
the God of themselves rather than listening to the one true God. Continuing in verse 19, it says, When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. I just picture him with a red party cup in his hand, and he's just going along with it. And he's like, hey, don't be such a square, Moses. Look at all this fun we're having. I know that's an outdated reference, but it just popped into my head there. But oftentimes, we want to use excuses of what the world is doing to give into our own indulgences and our own sin. And that's what Aaron's doing here. He's like, yeah, I know I could have stopped them, but hey, they're having fun. Look at this when he should have been standing up. We can't allow ourselves to get pulled along with the herd. We can't allow what the world is doing to give us the excuse because sometimes we want to go hang out with certain people or we want to go put ourselves in certain places, whether it's at the bar or the club or you know at the movie theater or wherever it is because we're like, hey, it's not my fault the world is doing this and if I just happen to be there and go along with it, you know, who am I to oppose them? That's exactly what Aaron was doing here. He was using them as an excuse to give in to his own sinful desires. He was just saying, well, you know how evil they are. What am I supposed to do about it? He's just going along with the flow. Moo. You know, he's going to come join us. Come join the herd. We're all doing it. But we are called to be separate and set apart and righteous and influencing the culture rather than just going along with the flow, rather than just saying, well, who are we to try and change the culture, God? You know these people are wicked. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be hated by everybody. Why don't we just go along with the herd? Everybody else is doing it. In verse 23, it says, They said to me, Make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Eh, Moses is out of sight, out of mind. Why don't we just go ahead and do that? And how often does the world say that? Well, where is your God? If he's so powerful, then why isn't he here? We are all representatives of that God. We are here to demonstrate that righteousness, not to go along with what the world is. We know our God is real. We know he is returning. We know he rules supreme. He doesn't need to show up. Just like when Jesus is walking on this earth, what's the first thing they all asked him? Why don't you show us a sign in heaven? He was showing you miracles every day. He was making the dead rise from the dead. He was making the lame walk. He was making the deaf hear. He was making the blind to be able to see. And yet they're like, you know what? Nah, that's not good enough. Why don't you show us? These people are standing there at a mountain, at the base of a mountain that's literally on fire. Smoke pouring up to heaven, to where even if they were to go touch the mountain, they would die. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what happened to Moses. You know, maybe this God isn't quite as, as powerful as he thought he was. So, look, we've got this calf. And then here in verse 24 continues, um, So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Earlier we heard how he himself had shaped and molded that. It took a lot of work for him to make this golden calf, to melt down that gold, shape it into this idol, put it out there for all these people. And what's his excuse? He's like, oh, look, it just happened. Wow, you know, it just popped out. Don't blame me. And how many times as Christians do we do that? We sit there and go along with the culture. We allow the sin to come into our life and take over and control us. And we get caught up in all these different things, whether it's sexual immorality um, alcohol or substance abuse, you name it. It becomes these idols in our life, and we're like, well, it wasn't my fault, God. It just popped up. You know, who was I to know that this stuff was going to take over my life? We know these things. We know the truth. We know right and wrong. Aaron didn't just happen to have this calf pop 
out of the fire like some miracle. He had done it. He had gone along with that herd. He had joined them in their revelry. He even helped facilitate it. We have to guard our hearts and guide, guard the hearts of those around us. We have to be that light. We have to be that city on the hill. We cannot allow that salt to lose its savor. We have to be the one that is rubbing against the grain. We have to be the one paddling upstream and going against what the herd is trying to do because that herd, remember, is heading to the slaughterhouse. That herd is marching along, oblivious to the fact that they're being raised to be turned into hamburger. They're on their ways to the slaughterhouse, and that is exactly what the world is. They are on their way to the pit of hell, and we have to stand up and say, no, 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 we've got a better way. We have to run away from those idols. We have to run away from those things and go to the loving God that is going to protect us and lead us into the promised land. They had a choice. They knew they were coming out of slavery and on their way to their own land, their own country, where they would be a nation set apart for God. And yet they so quickly were like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't so bad because we have a way of distorting our memories. We can look back on fondness because the flesh says, hey, if you forget about all the other bad stuff, you can remember that you used to be able to go and do all this sin. You didn't have anybody telling you that you couldn't do this. But I look back on the time before Christ in my own life. And you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that. Yeah, I had freedom and sin, but else I had everything else that went along with it, with the strife and the envy, the despair, and absolutely no hope. I thought I had hope, but why was I walking around in depression then? Because I knew that my heart longed for something better. I knew that there was a better life. That better life was finding freedom in Christ. I'm no longer a slave, just like the Israelites are no longer a slave. We think that we have freedom when we walk in sin and bondage, but we don't. The true freedom comes when I walk in righteousness. I'm free from all of those things. I don't have to worry about catching some sexually transmitted disease if I'm not out sleeping with everybody. I don't have to worry about crashing my car because I'm too drunk to drive if I'm not even drinking in the first place. I don't have to worry about all these things that the world destroys themselves with. And I certainly don't have to worry about going into the pits of hell Because I know I have a Savior that runs my life, that I can turn to in times of trouble, knowing that if God be for me, who can be against me? He is greater than everything that is in this world. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 16, is exactly what we've been talking about here. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. I do like the King James Version of that one better just because I've memorized that one more. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Continuing in verse 14, it says, But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Why? Moo. Because everybody else has got that herd mentality, and they're just going with the flow. They're just heading to the slaughterhouse. But we're going against that path. We are fighting against that. We have chosen the straight and narrow, which says there is only one way to heaven. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can only come to the Father through me. There's a lot of other philosophies out there. There's a lot of other, quote-unquote, religions out there talking about how you can get to heaven and how you can do it yourself. And they all boil down to idols. They all boil down to you being able to do it. Because that is what the, the flesh wants. The flesh is always about self. The self wants self-control. But God talks about surrendering, giving up in the spirit, and following after him. And in verse 15 it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. 
You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 16, and the King James says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. What fruits were Aaron, was Aaron demonstrating? As soon as the going got tough and some people questioned whether or not they were really following the right God, he's like, hey, I, you know, why don't we go ahead and uh, put together a calf and we'll get, uh, we'll get moving on that. Instead, he should have been like, no, we serve a mighty God, a God that loves us so much that he has delivered us out of slavery, he has delivered us out of sin, and he is going to get us there. If Moses is gone for a week, if he's gone for 10 days, if he's gone for a year, it doesn't matter. We still serve that same God. You all need to go back and think about what you're doing. Not join in their sin, not join in their revelry, not lead it. Heaven forbid. We shouldn't be the one that's influenced our friends unto sin. It talks about that in the New Testament, where if you are one that causes those little ones to sin, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea. We have to be the examples of righteousness. We have to be the ones standing up like Moses, face to face with God, receiving that covenant, receiving the instructions from him, saying, God, what is it that you would have me to do? What is it you'd have these people to do? And then be praying for them and showing them the way. Not sitting there mooing right along with them and heading along with the herd. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They couldn't see God. They couldn't see where Moses was. But they knew that God was with them. They had the pillar of fire by, by night and that cloud of the Spirit by day. They could see. They didn't have to look far. You don't have to look very far in your own life to be able to see the hand of God with you. We know that God is with us. And he has commanded us to go out and show people and introduce them to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To baptize them. To immerse them into God's ways to bury them in the crucifixion with Christ, to allow them to experience that resurrection, to bring them into the newness of life rather than wallowing in sin and death. God wants us to bring that resurrection power to them, to go out using that authority, using that power that he has given unto us, walking in that anointing. In Second John chapter 1, verses 5-7, to 7, it says, I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment. But one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. We know that Jesus has come. We know that he stood here amongst us in the flesh. But blessed are they that do not see and yet still believe. Have I ever put my hands in the sides of Jesus? Have I touched the nail holes in his hands? No. But I know for sure that he has touched me. I know for sure that he exists, that he is real. I've had way too many encounters with Jesus to know that he is anything but the truth, that he is the way, that he has delivered me from that. And that's what true love is. True love is wanting to introduce everyone to him rather than running and hiding, rather than going along with the herd, rather than allowing those people to be slaughtered and just be like, well, they were born that way. You can't be like Aaron and just be like, well, you know how wicked they are. Let them have their fun. No, we are called to call people to righteousness. That's what true love is. As it says here, love means doing what God commanded, which means following in his covenant because it's a two-way street. It's not like we're just surrendering everything to God and then he doesn't give us anything in return. 
He gives us everything he has. We get much more out of that equation than he'll ever get from us. Because, to be honest, even we were his. Everything on this earth was created by him and for him. So all we're doing is giving back to him what is already his. Give him your heart. Give him your soul. Give him your mind. And he will give you the entire kingdom of heaven to be able to go and leverage, to be able to win people unto him. True love demonstrates to people when they are on the wrong. Saying nothing while you watch somebody going on in error doesn't matter how blissful they seem. We have to be able to point out the true righteousness, the true ways. We need to be able to stand up and say, that golden calf is not the way. That idol that you've planted in your life is not going to help you. Rather, I know somebody that will, and that's Jesus Christ, who wants to lead you into the promised land, who wants to lead you into the place of rest, who wants to bring you that life and life more abundantly, that life free from sin, free from destruction. Don't keep heading towards that slaughterhouse. Follow me to the one that I know will bring you the true happiness and true joy. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 10 to 17, it says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant and blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Unlike those tablets of stone that shattered on the ground when Moses threw them down there, the real covenant is written upon our heart because it is on God's heart first. It was upon his heart when he came down onto this earth and surrendered his, earthly, er, surrendered his heavenly throne to be able to send up to the cross, to die a humiliating criminal's death, to be able to take on all of our sins and cast them aside to die and be resurrected again so that he would be the firstborn of many. And we are now part of those fruits that he has born. We have now been born into his kingdom and we have been risen above all of those things of this world. In verse 13 it says, I will teach all your children and they will enjoy great peace. There is peace in the presence of God. doesn't matter what storms are raging around you. doesn't matter what the world is running around or their head cut off fearing for the moment because it seems every week there's something new that they're running around afraid of. Oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. I don't care. I have God with me. Why do I need to be afraid? I love him and I know he loves me. We don't live our life in fear. We live our life in the joy and the peace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't go along with the herd. We don't need to run around and worry about what they're worried about. It says here in verse 14, and I'm going to read it out of the King James Version, And righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. We don't have to worry about those things. We don't have to run around in terror. We don't have to be oppressed. Think about what depression, think about what addiction, think about all of those different things that weigh down heavily upon somebody and crush them and destroy their spirit. That's that oppression. That's what the devil wants to do to all everybody. He wants to oppress them with the slavery of that and just crush their spirit to where the point that they just give up and either destroy themselves or destroy them around them. You've seen that, somebody that's so bitter and unforgiving that they just lash out everybody around them. They're not pleasant to be around. They've given up. They're oppressed. They're in that slavery to sin. They're in that slavery to that fear. Set them free. Deliver them with a kind word. The same for those that are bound up with all these addictions and all those other things. They are following after that herd mentality that the devil has placed before them. They're on that broad path of destruction. But we can turn their lives around, just as God turned our lives around. In verse 15 it says, If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. It looks daunting 
And it looks terrifying when you think about it. When you look at the culture around us and what is defined as modern society and how far from God it is. But there is nothing new under the sun. It's always been that way. That herd has always been marching to the slaughterhouse. That's what Jesus came down and dealt with in his day. And that's 2,000 years ago. We read about it right here in Exodus. And that's at least four or 5,000 years ago. The world has not changed. Those temptations are still the same. Yeah, the technology may change, but the temptations do not. And that is why whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. We do not have to be afraid of the world. Oh, they're going to rail against the name of Jesus. You can mention just about any other god on this earth. and They'll teach it in school. They'll teach you about the Greek gods. They'll teach you about Buddha. They'll teach you about just about anything. But you mention the name of Jesus Christ, and it brings fear to their hearts. Because if you acknowledge that there is a one true God, then you're going to have to tear down that golden calf. You're not going to be able to make up the rules as you go. You're not going to be able to go have that drunken orgy. You're not going to be able to go and just live your life however you want when you acknowledge that there is somebody above you. But we have that victory. When the world comes against us, we don't have to fear. And verse 17, and I'm going to read out of the King James, is no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shalt thou condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The devil is going to speak all sorts of things, but what are you going to receive into your heart? Every tongue that rises against you, meaning every word that is spoken against you, you need to cast it down. Refuse to receive that. Don't take the curse. Take the blessing. Take the words that God has spoken over you. Take his truth. Take his righteousness. Exalt those above all else. Don't be afraid to speak up when somebody asks for your opinion. When they came to Aaron and asked, what shall we do, Aaron? He should have said, we are going to wait here patiently upon the Lord and we are going to do what is pleasing to him. Not say, hey, give me the gold. Let's make an idol. We cannot put those idols into our life. We cannot allow them to come into our household. We can't allow them to come into our sphere of influence. Those are weapons that have been formed against us. But what does it say here? They shall not prosper because we are going to condemn them. We are going to speak the truth that we know. We are going to do it with boldness. Just as the disciples prayed in Acts soon after they had been beaten and thrown in the prison, they were released out of prison and they rejoiced. And they immediately went to God and said, Give us the boldness to speak your truth. That was what they asked for. They didn't say, don't ever let us be beaten again. Don't ever let us have trouble with the world. No, they went and said, let us have the boldness because they understood the flesh was weak, but the spirit was willing. Yeah, our flesh does not like being the outsider. It's so much easier to just move along with everybody else and just keep going along. It's great to be part of the herd. It feels good for a moment. It doesn't feel so good once you show up at the door of that slaughterhouse though and realize, wait a minute, you know, this wasn't the right path I should have taken. no. That is why we need to rise up against the world and against the things it is teaching. We need to be able to um, beat down those weapons that have been formed against us, cast down those words that are being spoken in error. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17, it says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Well, I'm actually going to read that in the King James Version. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Again, what is a yoke? A yoke is that harness that's put on cattle so they can pull the plow. Going along with the cow imagery, think about that. Who you choose to yoke yourself with, if that bigger, stronger cow is heading towards that slaughterhouse, and you've decided to yoke yourself to that wagon to be able to connect yourself with those cows, there's not much you're going to be able to do. You need to get yourself delivered and get yourself unyoked with the world. 
Just because the world is doing it, just because everybody else is doing it, that excuse didn't work with my parents, and it certainly isn't going to work with my Heavenly Father either when I show up for him. No, not everybody was doing it. You weren't supposed to be doing it. And that's going to be the exact answer he gives us. Because he's going to say, I gave you a better way to live. I gave you my truth. You can't just go along with the crowd. Don't go along with the herd. In verse 15 it says, What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? You can't join Christ and the devil together. You can't live both sides of the fence. You've got to make your choice. Just like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. It says, you decide who you're going to serve. We are given a choice. Are we going to follow after Jesus or are we going to follow after the devil? There really is no in between. You can't just say, I don't know, maybe if I just walk right here in the middle and kind of play both sides, I can, I can win out. It's not going to work that way. You have to make a choice. What does God call it? He calls that being lukewarm. And in Revelation, he says that's going to be spewed out of his mouth. Nobody likes a lukewarm drink. You either want it hot or you want it cold. We need to make sure that we are choosing the path of righteousness. Continuing in verse 16 and 17, it says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. I will welcome you. Come out from among them. God does not want us walking with the herd. He doesn't want us going along with the flow. He is saying, come out and follow me because he is our shepherd. And the true sheep hear his voice. We are going to follow after him rather than giving into those filthy things, giving into that sin, giving into the lies of the devil. Most importantly, just crucifying our flesh. Because the flesh wants to run after those things. And it's going to come up with all sorts of excuses to justify why you should go with the herd. I did it in my day. Well, the drinking's not so bad. You can go out a little bit more. Yeah, you've got this under control. It doesn't have control of you. I came up with all sorts of excuses as to why I could go to the bars, why I could go to the parties. Even after I got first saved, I was like, hey, praise the Lord, I can go to the bar now and just have two drinks. I've got it under control. And then one of my friends brought up and just asked me, why do you even need the two drinks? And then the Lord brought to remembrance how many times I'd gone out for just the one. And next thing you know, it was bar closing time and I didn't even know where I was or I was passed out somewhere. I was playing with fire and tempting that. Well, you know what? Maybe it's just that one lunch with that single person. Yeah, I know I'm married, but I'm just going to go out with it. Yeah, it's okay if I start talking to this person or doing that. Well, what's it matter if I go hang out at the bar here? Or what's it matter if I go see a dirty movie or you know, engage in these conversations? What's a little gossip between friends? It's that little things that the devil draws you away with. He starts getting you to walk outside of the covenant. starts getting you walking in the flesh and running after all of those things. And that's how the devil gets you. He doesn't, God does not want us yoked with that darkness. He wants us walking in that light. Separate yourselves from them. Don't go along with the rest of the herd. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22, it says, What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. And that, of course, doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be excluded. Nobody wants to be mocked because of what they believe. But God, And God doesn't want that for you either. God's not purposely wanting you to be hated. But he would rather have you be hated of the world than be a friend of the world. Because he is your friend and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He'd rather have you being 
falsely accused of being evil because, oh, that's pretty bad that you're saying what those people are doing as sin. That's just not right. They don't have a choice. Yes, they do have a choice. Whatever God tells us not to do is something that we truly have a choice not to do. God would never command us to do something that was impossible for us. God makes a way. He allows us to resist that temptation. But we first have to recognize sin is sin. We have to recognize that we are called to be righteous. And if that means that everybody else is going to hate us because of it, because we don't want to go along with that, and they feel convicted in their heart, if you look at um, Stephen when he was stoned, all he did is speak the truth. And their own condemnation was like burning coals upon their head. It was pricking their hearts so bad that it hurt that they just had to put an end to it. And rather than repenting and turning away, they picked up rocks and stoned Stephen. They went after the light. They went after what was good. And the world will always do that. It truly hates what is good because it exposes their lies. It exposes the fact that their golden calf that they're all dancing around is nothing but a lump of metal. It's not going to do anything for them. But they love the golden calf because they can put words into its mouth. They can say, well, this is what the golden calf would want us to do. Oh, sure, the golden calf would want me to go and do this. But when there's a God that's living, that is actually looking to have a conversation with them and say, hey, what you're doing is not right, that's a whole different story. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to have to give up what my flesh wants. But when you give up what the flesh wants, you give up that slavery. You come out of Egypt and enter into the promised land. And finally, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We have been led out of Egypt. We have been led out of slavery. We have been given that freedom so we don't have to just moo along with the herd. We don't have to go along with that herd mentality. The flesh is what we are born with, but the flesh is not what we live with. We live with the Spirit, as it says in verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He declared an end to the control that sin had over us. Sin no longer controls us. If you go back and read Romans chapter 7, which is where most people, including myself many years ago, had stopped as a Christian, where it says, well, I want to do good, but I can't. No matter how hard I struggle against sin, I always fall back into it. And it reads like a pathetic failure. And that's really what it is, because that's what the flesh is. And that's what happens when you follow the herd. That's what follows when you worship after idols, the idol and the idolatry of the flesh. But thank God that's not where the story ends. At the very end of chapter 7 and going into chapter 8, it talks about how we have victory through Christ Jesus, how we've been giving that total, complete control over sin because we have now died to sin and entered in to the life that the Spirit gives us. He has elevated us up above that where we don't have to follow along with the herd. He says, yeah, that was your old life, but because of the power of my son and the sacrifice he's given and the new covenant that you now have, you can live that life of righteousness. You can leave the flesh behind. In verse 5 it says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The Spirit is in control. It's not the golden calf. It's not those false idols. The Spirit is now seated in your heart because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life, 
He sends you that Holy Spirit to fill you with the anointing, to fill you with the desires to seek after him. And that's one of the other beautiful things, is we don't have to do it in our own power. In fact, that's impossible. But it is God that puts that desire in our heart. If you will yield to him and be honest with him, we all struggle with things that God doesn't want us to do. But if you are honest with God and say, God, I'm really struggling in this area. I need your help. He's not the God that's going to beat you upside the head. He's not going to turn his back on you and say, well, I just give up. No, he is there to help you. He's going to say, don't worry, my child. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's pick you up and carry you. If he needs to carry you, he will. He is going to give you his strength. He has given you his strength. He has given you the anointing to be able to carry on in the face of adversity, to be able to stand up in a world that is dead and be that light, to not give up, to be able to be the one that goes against the herd mentality, to be able to walk against the grain and head towards the light. In verse 7 it says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Just like Moses was gone for very long and the children of Israel immediately went back to sin and idolatry, that's what our flesh wants to do. It is drawn like a moth to the flame. It is drawn back to that sin. And that's why we cannot allow the, the sin nature to rise back up in us because that sinful nature is always hostile to God. And when we look around the world, we can't like Aaron and say, well, you know, they're, they're a bad lot, but who am, I to, who am I to blame? Who am I to judge? Well, God hasn't called us to judge, but he has called us to save. In order to be able to bring salvation, first of all, you've got to recognize wrong for wrong. You've got to be able to recognize sin as sin. And then you can go out there and start shedding the light in the darkness, shining Jesus' mercy upon that, extending a hand to them to pull them back up onto the boat. In verse 8 it says, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. And I don't want to be showing up at heaven's door when I die. I'd rather have God say, you know, enter in, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to have him turn to me and say, Depart from you, evildoer. I never knew you. And that's what it is right there. Those that do not walk in faith, just like it says in Hebrews chapter 11, will not be able to please God. In order to please God, you've got to be able to walk in that faith. And the faith starts with Jesus and recognizing the sovereignty of God and the righteousness of his word and understanding that he wants us to be that salt of the earth. He wants us to be that righteousness. Verse 9, it says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So basically, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Don't ever let the devil convince you otherwise, because he'll try to do that. Oh, you're not Spirit-filled. Nah, you're not going to be able to overcome this. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit's not with you. Look at how you messed up yesterday. Look what you just did. Look what you said. Ignore those things. Cast those things down. Refuse to accept them. Because remember, you have the power with your tongue to condemn those things that come against you. Battle that battle in your heart and mind against the world and against the things that are thrown against you. You are not controlled by that sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit and you have that power. And verse 10 it says, And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Right there. You have been made right with God. If you have any doubt, if you have any questions, remind yourself of that verse right there. Because the devil's going to come and sling some mud at you. He's going to throw all sorts of lies and hypocrisy at you. But you have been made right with God. What does that mean? That means you have his righteousness. You are the child of God. You are set apart and you have that power and authority to be able to show the world through your example 
the loudest preaching we can do is by right living. The world will feel condemned. They're going to come against you because they don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. And preaching to the world doesn't necessarily mean having to get up in their face and scream at them that they're wrong. What it means is that you're just going to go about your life living for God and speaking to those people that he wants you to speak to. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your footsteps and to guide your mouth and to guide your words. He's going to arm you against this wicked world so that when the moo comes your way, you're not going with the herd. You're not going to the slaughter. You are going to march your way on that straight and narrow path and try and shepherd those people back towards Christ, back towards the truth. And then and finally in verse 11 it says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. You are spiritual. You are the mind of Christ. You have that power and authority and anointing to be able to go against the herd and to be able to bring these people to heaven with you and to be able to keep yourself from falling and stumbling and from going along with what the world would do because we have the calling upon us to change this world for the better and not to just go along with that sin. We can deliver people from sin just as we ourselves have been delivered. Bring that light to everyone and stop going moo with everybody else and just again sing the praises of hallelujah to God and praise the Lord for the deliverance that he has brought to you and how he's going to use you to bring deliverance to those around you.